We are recording this podcast on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We wish to pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and extend our respects to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander people who may be listening. Hi everybody, my name is Priscilla. And my name is Elise. Welcome to Novel Feelings, where we discuss representations of mental health issues in fiction novels. That's right, and a quick reminder that we are trained psychologists, but this podcast should not be taken as therapeutic advice. We also acknowledge that today we're speaking as psychologists and book lovers, not necessarily as people with lived experience of the mental health issues that will be covered in our book today. Our voices are limited, but we do want to make sure that we provide some content from people who do have lived experience. So stay tuned at the end of this episode where we'll be providing some links and suggestions for more reading on the topic. Mm, exciting stuff. Today we are reviewing Turtles All the Way Down by John Green. In case you don't know who John Green is, he is the best-selling author of several books, including Looking for Alaska, Paper Towns, The Fault in Our Stars, and obviously Turtles All the Way Down. He has won a number of awards for his writing. In addition to his writing, he and his brother Hank Green started a YouTube channel, Vlog Brothers. Vlog Brothers spawn a following of people around the world calling themselves nerdfighters. Visit the author's website for more information, uh, johngreenbooks.com. So spoiler warning, as usual, uh, we are a spoiler podcast. So if you don't want to know what happens in Turtles all the way down, um, you might want to tune out because we will be going in depth into the plot of this story. Now I'm going to go into a quick recap of the book. So Turtles All the Way Down is about 16-year-old Aza Holmes. Aza never intended to pursue the mystery of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett, but there's a $100,000 reward at stake for her best and most fearless friend, Daisy, is eager to investigate. So together, they navigate the short distance and broad divides that separate them from Russell Pickett's son, Davis. Aza is trying. She's trying to be a good daughter, a good friend, a good student, and maybe even a good detective, while also living with the ever-tightening spiral of her own thoughts. This book is actually a non-voice representation. So that basically means that the work has been written by someone who has a lived experience. So in this case, John Green, he has experience of OCD uh, and has spoken about it publicly in interviews and has made a YouTube video as well about it. The other reason why we chose this book is because John Green is actually quite a popular young adult author. So John Green has had a couple of very popular books in the past, in particular The Fault in Our Stars, which was published in 2012 and has quite a successful movie adaptation as well. So we thought it would be interesting to discuss how he talks about mental health in his books. This is the first time that he has talked about OCD in his fiction. So there's a quote from The Guardian where he says in an interview, there have been periods where this, this being OCD, has been a disabling part of my life and there have been periods where this has been a pretty small part of my life. Totals All the Way Down is intended to show how most people with chronic mental illnesses also live long, fulfilling lives. So that was kind of his reason why he decided to write about OCD in his books. Mm. And myself being a John Green fan, I was curious to hear about his experiences with OCD through this lens. I wouldn't say I'm a fan necessarily, but his books are so popular. If you're a reader of young adult books, you kind of can't escape them. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I am a John Green fan. I don't love all of his books equally, but the ones that I do particularly like are 
looking for Alaska and Paper Towns and the Fault in Our Stars, which I think are probably three of his most popular books anyway. And yeah, I was very excited because last year I randomly found a copy of the Fault in Our Stars in an op shop signed with its dust jacket still on. <laughs> so I don't, yeah, I don't know how I managed to do that. And I don't think they're extremely rare or anything, but um, I was pretty excited when I did come across that. I've, I read a lot of his books when I was more in the age range that they're aimed at. Mm-hmm. So when I was in my early 20s was when I was reading a lot of his books. And I think it's, of course, easier to relate to books that are aimed at young adults when you are in that young adult age bracket. And I don't think I technically am anymore. So maybe I relate to them a little bit less over time. So some trigger warnings for this book include self-harm, OCD and intrusive thoughts, anxiety and panic attacks, uh, depersonalization, car crash, and grief and death of a parent. And the mental health issues that we will be talking about that are covered in this book. So as we've already flagged, of course, um, OCD or obsessive compulsive disorder, as well as anxiety. Um, And the book talks a lot about the impact of OCD and anxiety on a person's day-to-day life and how they think about themselves, as well as the impact on family and friends. The book also talks quite a bit about the experience of being in therapy and recovery. There's also discussion around medication and some content around hospitalization and being in a mental health crisis. Uh, I would just like to briefly flag as well that although we are psychologists, neither of us are experts on OCD. Personally, I do have a little bit of experience and a little bit of training in OCD. So I have provided treatment for clients with OCD before, but I wouldn't say that I am an expert in the field. I would agree with that. Um, I probably have even less experience treating OCD than Elise, so don't take anything we say today as advice. But we will, of course, provide information on where to get support if you do want more information. So the book opens with Asa lost in her thoughts. She's sitting in the cafeteria with her two friends, but she's focused on her thoughts. She can't stop thinking about bacteria in her body, and this leads her on a Wikipedia rabbit hole. We see her unusual behavior with her middle finger too. We learn that she's pressed her right thumbnail into the finger pad of her middle finger over the year, causing an almost permanent crack in the skin. Yeah, so very early on in this book, we do start to get a window into Aza's mind and how her thought processes are quite intense and intrusive and how distracting they are. So she has a lot of trouble being being present with her friends mm. at school and often is quite lost in her own thought processes. And this is really tricky for Aza because it's not like this is a choice for her. Uh, however, her anxiety is is really intense and she gets stuck in what we learn that she describes as being spirals where her thoughts just kind of keep building on one another and one another. That's something that John Green does really well, that sense of the spiral just tightening. I found myself getting quite tense as I was reading them. There are quite a few passages in this book where we do go into Aza's stream of consciousness and her thoughts are quite rapid, quite short and sharp, and she's often trying to 
question her own thoughts, but this is a, a process that is just not working for her. She has a quote from chapter one where she says, the thing about a spiral is if you follow it inward, it never actually ends. It just keeps tightening indefinitely. And we also learn quite early on that Aza has this suspicion that she might not be a real person, that she is a fictional character or that somebody else is in control of her fate. So this leads to her feeling detached from other people and detached from her surroundings. And uh, this is what we what we call symptoms of depersonalization and derealization, not that those are specifically named in the book. And this is quite distressing for her and something that she doesn't really talk about with other people either. I do find that it's a very serious thing for Aza, but I find that a bit funny because she is a fictional character in this book. It's a bit meta, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I just wanted to note as well that uh, it's pretty clear to the informed reader that Aza has obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD. John Green has been very clear in when he's been talking about and promoting the book that she does have OCD and it's, yeah, it's just not named in the book, which I did find interesting. I wonder if, you know, the choice of not naming what Aza is going through as OCD is John Green's way of avoiding an info dump where she has to define it to someone else. Yeah, and I wonder if John is potentially trying to get the reader to step into Aza's head so that they understand the experience of OCD rather than labelling it as being OCD and then the reader starts to make assumptions about what that feels like or what that means. So Aza experiences intrusive thoughts, which are also known as obsessions, and her thoughts are generally around infection, uh, particularly about a type of bacterial infection called C. diff. Unlike a lot of people who might experience a thought about infection or bacteria or a virus or some, some other illness, Aza struggles to stop thinking about it. So a lot of people who don't have OCD can have an intrusive thought and then just go, oh, that's, that's a strange thought or that's a concerning thought, and then are able to kind of move on. So she has to engage in these actions that provide temporary relief to from her anxiety. So these are called compulsions. And Aza has a number of compulsions in the book. So the main one that's discussed is how she will open and uh, quote unquote drain the callus on her finger. But she also has a number of other compulsions such as using hand sanitizer, reading about infections, and to a degree seeking reassurance from other people as well. So all of these aim to quell her anxiety but unfortunately they she, she gets stuck in this cycle where she has the thought she acts on it it provides temporary relief but then the thoughts don't go away they might temporarily go away but the, the cycle kind of continues very similar for a lot of people who have OCD however not everybody has this in relation to infection or illness this can happen this cycle happens for a lot of different reasons there are people who have OCD who might worry about their family dying if they don't engage in certain actions. There are people who have OCD who are worried about hurting somebody else. And there's, there's lots of different ways this can manifest, but this is how, how it happens for Aza. So we then learn that there is a manhunt of fugitive billionaire Russell Pickett. And Aza's best friend Daisy is really keen to investigate because there's a money prize. So there's a reward of $100,000 for information that leads to uh, the authorities finding Russell Pickett. 
which is pretty appealing for two high school students who don't have a lot of money in their families who are interested in going to college and so on after high school. Anyway, it turns out that Aza used to be friends with Russell's son, Davis, when they were younger. So Aza remembers that there's a night vision camera on Pickett's fence, I believe at like the back of their property somewhere. Mm -hmm. So uh, Daisy and Aza are, are kind of curious about this and want to investigate to see if they can hack into the camera. So they they get in a canoe and I, there's there's a bit of like a a scene where they're traveling down this this river that goes past the back of the Pickett's billionaire property and to see if they can get this camera which they're they're able to connect to the camera on Aza's phone however they get caught by a security guard um which I'm not surprised by yeah. in, in any way uh yeah I found this this setup to be a little bit far-fetched um that they could just jump in a canoe and somehow end up at the back of this billionaire's property and they didn't expect there to be any consequences from that. <laughs> I guess we can blame it on short-sighted thinking. Yes, they they did not think through this plan particularly well, but it, it ends up working out okay for them. So they end up um, going onto the property and meeting up with Davis, who does remember Aza from back when they were children mm-hmm. and they sort of become reacquainted and exchange numbers and sort of start a bit of a tentative friendship. So just as a side note and a background about the Pickett family, when they say billionaire, they do mean billionaire. The Mm. estate is described as incredibly large and quite lavish. And there's this greenhouse that's dedicated to this ancient creature called the Tuatara. Like this lizard creature that lives for a long time and is quite fascinating. Uh, and there's even a zoologist on site who looks after and studies this this Tuatara. And mm. Pickett Senior is leaving all of his wealth to this creature. Take that, children. Yeah. I'm leaving my fortune to a lizard. Yeah, and he doesn't just have one children, one child. There's two of them there. So Davis mm. is the older sibling, and there's Noah. Uh, Noah is quite distraught about his father's disappearance slash abandonment. And Davis practically has to raise Noah on his own while Noah is struggling with this grief and demonstrating quite externalizing behaviors like smoking pot and drinking and getting into various trouble at his school. And Davis isn't coping particularly well either. He's certainly impacted by the disappearance of his father and a lot of mixed feelings. As His father was sort of getting into financial trouble, trouble with taxes, I believe, that kind of thing, and wasn't really a consistent or a loving presence in their lives either. He seems quite suspicious of people trying to restart relationships with him with good reasons because he suspects that everyone's after this reward. Aza and Daisy continue to investigate and trying to get more information about what's going on. While this is happening, Aza is still struggling with her thought processes and what seems to be an increase in severity of her anxiety. So we learn that she's been living with OCD in some capacity since she was around 11. Mm. It has been up and down over the years. So she has this long-term psychiatrist I believe Dr Karen Singh uh, so Aza's been working with Dr Singh for a number of years so they have 
a therapy session where Aza talks about how she's going and talks about her her concerns about being a fictional character and this kind of thing. They also talk about a few different strategies like um, breathing exercises, which Aza does practice sometimes, or trying to reframe or challenge her OCD-related thoughts. Unfortunately, therapy doesn't seem to be helping Aza that much at the moment. I wonder how much that has to do with the techniques being used, as well as how much Aza ties her obsession and compulsions into her identity. So when she talks about not wanting to take her medication, she talks about how it's odd that she has to take this in order to be more of herself when the medication is removing parts of herself. As a result, Aza is not taking her medication consistently, only taking it maybe three times a week. And as Dr. Singh points out, it's unlikely to be making much of a difference if she isn't able to take it consistently. We also learned that in the past, they have attempted a specific form of cognitive behavior therapy called exposure and response prevention. Exposure and response prevention involves attempting to sort of disentangle the spiral and, and interrupt it by exposing Aza to situations that might trigger her, her intrusive thoughts but not actually acting on her compulsions. So, for example, uh, in a session, it might involve a person who is concerned about germs touching a garbage bin, either not wash their hands afterwards or delay how long it takes them to wash their hands afterwards. This is one of the, the gold standard treatments for OCD. And it is, however, very distressing for people to mm -hmm. go through. And it does take a lot of time and practice for it to make a difference. So, Although Aza has done this in the past, she describes it as sort of working for a while, but they weren't able to continue it. And, and Dr. Singh encourages them to try again, but unfortunately Aza doesn't want to. Um, whether or not it would make a difference at this stage, we don't know. She remembers it working for her in the past, but she also remembers how scared it made her. And mm. the fear of fear is very real. As a result, though, it means that Aza is only really able to access this kind of supportive therapy with maybe not that many strategies that are help that are working for her. When she does try to challenge her thoughts, it just tightens the spiral rather than releasing it, which makes me think, um, despite my limited experience, that maybe that's not the best strategy for her or that she she would benefit from trying different strategies to manage her thoughts. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Noom.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. I do acknowledge though that being in therapy for five years, it's quite likely that she has tried a number of different things, but unfortunately none of them have made that long-term difference for her. She might benefit more from something like recognizing the thought and then working on letting it pass her by, which is more around mindfulness. Yeah, we, we get a little bit of a sense that she's been encouraged to do that in the past. At one stage she mentions that Dr. Singh had suggested imagining her thoughts as being cars that are just driving past and rather than getting in the car mm-hmm. to, to step back and just observe them. And that is a what's called a diffusion strategy that aims to distance yourself from your thoughts. However, she's so entangled with her thoughts that these these sort of one-off strategies aren't really making a difference. Maybe acceptance and commitment therapy would be more effective because also it would be less about challenging her sense of identity and more mm-hmm. about accepting that, right, this is the way my brain works. How do I not get so caught up in it? And in acceptance and commi- commitment therapy, they talk a lot about how it's important not to see your thoughts as being you. So the idea that your thoughts are a part of you, but you are not your thoughts, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is something that comes up again and again in the book is Aza wondering how that can possibly be the case because who is she if she's not her thoughts? So Aza and Davis's relationship starts developing. It's revealed that they have a crush on each other. At one stage, Davis gives her and Daisy $100,000 to stop investigating so he can trust that she wants to be around him for him, not for the money. Yeah, I just wanted to highlight how how unusual a situation it is for somebody to just be able to dig out from behind the fridge $100,000 in cash. And for him to say, oh, I just found another bundle of $100,000 yeah. accidentally in the kitchen in a cereal box or something like that. Yeah. And Aza is naturally hesitant to take the money. But as Davis says, you know, this is nothing to us. This is a rounding error. I'd much prefer you just take this so I know that you're not trying to get with me just to get the reward money. And Aza does end up taking the money and splitting it with Daisy. And this goes against pretty much every convention of plot that I'm used to. And I remember reading this and thinking, is there going to be a a consequence from them taking the money? And surprisingly there isn't. uh, Yeah. Only positive consequences really. So Davis accepts that Aza is not interested in him just for the money. Mm Daisy is able to use some of the money to buy a laptop and buy a car and so on, which makes a huge difference for her. And Aza is able to use the money to put away the money and start thinking about going to different colleges that might not be so close to home and it starts to open up more possibilities for them. I suppose one negative consequence that came out of that was that it highlighted the financial imbalance that were that was in Aza's and Daisy's relationship? Aza is a little bit judgmental towards some of Daisy's decisions regarding the money. So she pretty much immediately goes out and buys herself a car and a laptop. But, and as Daisy points out, you know, you, 
shouldn't judge me for this. These are things that I need. Whereas Aza felt that she should have put aside the money for the future. In terms of Aza and Davis's relationship, Aza's germophobia gets in the way of physical contacts, particularly kissing. So whenever they start kissing, she enjoys it, but then she would get those intrusive thoughts where she starts thinking about their bacteria, his bacteria getting into her body. She started squirting hand sanitizer into her mouth after kissing. Although she she wants to be present with him and wants to be able to enjoy kissing him, in this situation she gets so stuck in her head that she becomes extremely upset and panicked and embarrassed as well. It's really heartbreaking. She knows that this is irrational, but she can't avoid it. She can't get out of it. In any case, though, the relationship sort of continues, even though they are having this trouble with intimacy. But you can see in this situation, OCD is preventing her from enjoying what should be an intimate moment with a boy that she likes. Um, and instead it's resulting in her having a panic attack in the bathroom. And that's an ongoing theme in the book, I feel. And later on, that's something that gets pulled up by Daisy as well, that she feels Aza doesn't know a lot about her because Aza gets lost in her own head a lot of the time, which is understandable from Daisy's perspective, though it feels perhaps unfair to Aza because it's not her choice mm. to be experiencing these things. Yeah. So Aza and Daisy have quite a significant fight while they're in the car. So over over a number of topics such as privilege, as well as some of Daisy's writing in her fan fiction that Aza has discovered. So she's discovered that there's a fictional character in her stories who seems to have a lot of similarities to Aza. And Daisy's portrayal of this character is often quite negative. So Aza's, of course, really concerned that her best friend hates her or resents her in this situation. Mm. And this fight is is pretty intense. And unfortunately, it does result in a car crash. Aza is injured in this car accident, which results in them having to go to hospital. And unfortunately, the hospital is a really triggering environment for Aza. And she has to stay there because she has an, a lacerated liver and she needs to be st- stuck there under observation. But Aza's fear relates a lot to um, her concern about this particular bacteria that is known to be commonly spread in hospital settings. Mm. So it sends her OCD into overdrive. Yeah, it reaches its peak in one Really, a really distressing scene, actually. Which, again, it's a testament to John Green's writing. I was feeling quite distressed reading that page. Mm-hmm. In that scene, her obsession and compulsion caused Aza to drink three blobs of hand sanitizer. So, already suffering from the lacerated liver, she naturally becomes really sick from this. And this leads her to admitting to her mother that she is in big trouble. This comes quite late in the book. She knows all along that this is not right, you know, the way she's feeling and that tightening spiral thoughts. There's something about that moment where she actually says, I'm in big trouble, that feels like a shift. Like acknowledging that she needs help. Yeah. And this is hard for Aza as well because she does experience a lot of embarrassment as a result of her 
OCD and how much it's impacting her. So mm. I think it's really, it's, it's quite a turning point for the plot. For someone like Aza, it is a long-term recovery process and recovery might not mean absence of symptoms. Yeah. Um, if we more modern conceptualizations of recovery, talk more about learning how to live with your mental health issues, whatever they might be, mm. and to still have a meaningful life, even if that's the experience that you are dealt with. Yeah, I agree. And I think that applies to a lot of mental health issues that recovery doesn't mean you're cured, just means that you learn to cope with the bad days. Yeah. And I suppose we should point out as well that even after Ace has this realization, we get the sense that this is not a linear process for her. No. She will still have bad days. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, back to the moment in when she's in the hospital, she does end up having a visit from Dr. Singh. Uh, they end up trying a new medication. Eventually she's released from hospital and returns back to school and seeing friends again. And she seems to be travelling better than she was earlier in the book. So she's no longer at that point of, uh, of crisis mm -hmm. and her thoughts are feeling a bit more manageable. She's taking her medication more consistently, which I suspect is helping. She is still experiencing the compulsions as well, but not, not to the point of drinking the hand sanitizer like it had been earlier. However, she's, she describes herself as still feeling quite fragile and this ultimately leads to her deciding to end things with Davis. But I can completely understand why Aza made that decision that perhaps now is not the right time to be pursuing a new relationship. Yeah, and I think that's better for her mental health. In any case, though, eventually Aza and Daisy do solve the mystery of Pickett's disappearance almost by mistake. Mm -hmm. um, so they are attending an art show, so it's an underground art show, and they're travelling through a tunnel. It's a sewer. And, Isn't oh, it? It's, it's yeah. gross. <laughs> it's pretty gross. But eventually they sort of piece together some of the clues and realise that Russell Pickett's body might be in this area they end up giving this information to Davis rather than going directly to the police so he can decide what he wants to do because the sooner the mystery gets solved, the sooner that Davis and Noah will not have access to the family's money anymore. Mm. And that's obviously a bit of a conundrum because um, although they won't be left completely destitute, the money is going to go to this like lizard Thing. I, I don't know how to say it completely, but the money, <laughs> yeah. the money is going to go to like a foundation to research and preserve lizards, the Tuatara, rather than the kids who are accustomed to a certain lifestyle. And eventually Davis and Noah decide to turn the information over to the police. Um, as I think Aza says, they value the truth mm. more than the money at this stage and they, they want to, to confirm that um, they wanted to, to know where, the, where their father was and they eventually do recover his body and the mystery is solved. So, so the book winds up not long after we learn about that and Aza and Davis, their relationship has ended at this stage. Um, Aza and Daisy, their, their friendship has resolved by the end of the book. Daisy 
uh, although she can't fully understand what Aza is going through, acknowledges that you know she does mm. she does love Aza and she wants to support her and she might not fully get it but wants to be there for her. I think that's often the case for people who love someone with mental health difficulties. You don't need to understand completely what's happening, but as long as you're there for them when they need you, that's the important thing. Yeah, and maybe as Daisy gets older, she will understand a bit more as well, mm-hmm. even if she can't do it right now. Aza's travelling better too by the end of the book, although, um, as she says, I got better without ever quite getting well. From the last few pages, it seems like future Aza is talking and she talks about how, you know, life is good. She has a meaningful life. She gets better and then gets really sick to the point that she's hospitalized. And then she gets better again and gets sick again. But overall, she lives this fulfilling life while coping with OCD, despite her er- her earlier concerns that she can't ever do that. She is able to maintain friendships, go to college, find a job, have a family. She describes her future life as being unbuilt and rebuilt. And this, again, just highlights the nonlinear recovery process for her. So mm. it sounds like although she never fully recovers in quotation marks from OCD, um, she is able to accept that as being part of her life and to cope however she can. And I really liked this ending. I thought it was really beautiful. I agree. I really love that ending as well. All right, Elise, what are your favorite moments from this book? Uh, So my favourite moments from this book would definitely relate to the descriptions of OCD and anxiety. Um, I think it is very powerfully written. And although, as I've stated before, I haven't got this personal experience, although I've had quite a bit of anxiety in my life, I I relate to the idea of the spiral and it really allowed me to step into Aza's head or John Green's head, I suppose, really quite well. And as I said just before, I really like the ending, that tone of hope. I do want to flag that it is possible for somebody to who's had OCD to again recover in quotation marks yeah. from OCD. So so to to live without the symptoms of OCD after some kind of uh, treatment or support or self help. So that that does happen. But for a lot of people, it is chronic, or it does take a long time to sort of figure out how to get to the point where OCD isn't impacting on your life in a significant way. And it is possible to have flare-ups and otherwise be well. So I, I just want to flag that um, although this was Aza's experience, that it is chronic for her, that isn't the case for absolutely everybody, but it, it certainly is for a lot of people. And another thing I just wanted to flag, we haven't really talked on it about it too much, but I do like Daisy and Aza's friendship, even though they aren't always kind of the, the very good friends to each other. They certainly have their ups and downs. And I do appreciate Daisy's love of Star Wars and her <laughs> fan fiction. What about you? What were your favourite parts? I really love the way Aza's thought spirals were written. They do put you in her head and they can be quite distressing to read, which is, again, testament to good writing if they can, if it can provoke that sort of emotion. I didn't particularly care about the outcome of the mystery of Pickett's disappearance, but I like the detective work that they, that. Aza and Daisy put in there. Yeah, I did I did like that stuff, particularly when they were working together. So another thing that I enjoy about it was the therapy session with Dr. Singh. I thought it was a good portrayal of therapy. 
and there was nothing unethical in it, which is great. <laughs> you don't see that very often when they portray therapy in so, uh, popular media. <laughs> no. The only thing I didn't like about that was how um, I felt Dr. Singh was very, very philosophical when they were chatting and I don't know how helpful mm. that was for Aza at the time. Um, but, again, acknowledging that they have worked together for a long time so they might not be as sort of solution or problem-focused yeah. as you might be if you're working with somebody over a shorter period of time. That might be John Green's philosophical thinking bleeding into his characters. Oh, yes. So in terms of star rating, I gave this book a four stars. I took away one star because I did not care for the romance. Like I think it's a good portrayal of their relationship, but John Green's leading men just don't do it for me. I don't care about them, don't find them attractive. So that's probably part of it. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. As for me, I also gave this book four stars. I think we have quite similar opinions about this book. Um, I really like the portrayal of OCD and I really like how John Green describes anxiety and describes obsessions and compulsions. However, my main criticism of this book is I feel like turtles all the way down it involves two or more books that have been kind of combined together uh frankenstein style and in my point of view it doesn't mesh as well as it could and i i also picked this up in his interview in the guardian where he said there were a few abandoned novels along the way that got kind of scrapped for parts and when i read that i thought yeah i feel like that kind of works for this book so on the one hand it's this mystery billionaire kind of storyline and on the other hand it's this very reflective portrayal of mental illness and of course there are ways to combine different elements together and I think it's important that not every discussion around mental illness is just like an issues book where it's just about that people living with mental health issues have adventures and have lots of things going on and can be involved in, in bigger plots that aren't just about their mental health issues. But I felt just in this book, it didn't work quite that well. It was a little bit disjointed for me. Mm-hmm. And it did mean that I felt not that involved or invested in the mystery or the romance either. Um, but that being said, I've still given this four stars because I think this, the mental health discussions in this book were very strong and could stand alone. Before we wrap up, I did just want to highlight a particular article that we're going to link in our website today. So from Stacey Grant. Um, so Stacey wrote for Seventeen magazine back in 2017. She is a person who lives with OCD and she speaks in this article about how powerful she found this book. And she has written an open letter to John Green where she's essentially thanked him in a really genuine fashion about how he portrays OCD in this book and how she relates to the feelings of powerlessness and hopelessness and the thought spirals. And as she says in the article, on behalf of everyone who has OCD, but more so on those who only thought they understood it, thank you. I really like this article as well. Shows you the power of good representation in novels. And speaking of our website as well, we are going to link to a number of resources. On our website, there will be links to the International OCD Foundation, Beyond OCD, also the information from this uh, from SANE website. I have also put a link for parents, 
from this website called Child Mind. We've put together a small list of other books that you might enjoy if you enjoy Thurls all the way down. Yeah, so just a couple to highlight. So one that I wouldn't be surprised if we actually cover in a future episode is The Rest of Us Just Live Here by Patrick Ness. In this book, the main character also lives with OCD, although it's not as much of a focus as it is in Turtles All the Way Down. And I do also note that if you like this book, John Green, of course, has a number of other books. If you are interested in something in the same same vein as well, you might be keen to check out John Green on YouTube, so Vlogbrothers, or he has a podcast as well called The Anthropocene Reviewed. If you want to learn more about the book or access relevant resources, check out our website, novelfeelings.com. We post an episode summary and links to further reading for each episode. You can also visit our mental health resources page to learn more about getting support for yourself or somebody you care about or to learn more about mental health in general. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to ask us a question or just chat, you can send us a message via our website. To keep up to date with us, remember to follow us on social media. At the moment, we are on Twitter and Goodreads at novel underscore feelings. You can also find Priscilla online. So Priscilla, where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram at pavedwithbooks with two S. Thank you everybody for listening and please remember to tune in to our next episode. Have a great week. See you then.